back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Although, considering the state of the modern-day comic book industry, the idea of talking about comics on an ongoing basis it seems to be very much in question at the moment, but there are still comics that are coming out. And in relation to that, I, I've taken a fair amount of grief for talking about this particular subject, you know, today's subject matter. I've taken a fair amount of grief for talking about this particular subject in the past. And I guess if this is a deal breaker for you, well, I'm sorry, but it's not really going to change the content of my show, I'm sad to say. I've decided that what I'm going to do is talk about, number one, I'm going to, again, I shall be politic about this, crowdfunded comics. I shall talk about them um, maybe a little bit more often, and... I mean, again, I don't want to upset anybody, but, you know, if if this is just a bridge too far for you, well, I mean, I understand. No hard feelings. But I'm still going to talk about this. So, anyway, so for today's today's comic book, this is act- it's actually a mini-comic book, believe it or not. Uh, the second such that I've talked about on this show. This is Cyberfrog Amphibionics, and... You know, well, you know what, maybe I'll just save my commentary for after the summary. And speaking of the summary, <clears throat> it is very brief. Uh, there's probably a lot that I could do to synopsize this this story, but I mean, frankly, for as many pages as there are in this comic book, the synopsis uh, it looks like this is 20 pages. The synopsis is actually relatively straightforward. Uh, Cyberfrog stops a mugging. In the process, he gets a dead nun stuck on the uh, a dead nun stuck on his shoulder fins. He spends the rest of the issue trying to get the dead nun pried off of his shoulder fins, and then in the end. He gets the dead nun pried off of his shoulder fins. So, pretty straightforward, really. Now, the the thing about this is... You know, sometimes you have to spend time with something. You have to digest it a little bit. Or maybe sometimes you just need to become a little bit more familiar with it before you can really contextualize it. And in relation to that... The, I've, I personally find it kind of hard to ignore certain influences that are going on with these early issues of uh, Cyberfrog because originally this comic book was published back in the 90s and the I don't know if I would have picked up on all this back then but reading it now this is basically a reprint more or less Reading it now, certain influences that motivate Cyberfrog, they become a little bit more apparent, but uh, I guess I'll come to that when I, when I come to that. So uh, the creative team, created, written, and illustrated by Ethan Van Skyver, colors by Kyle Ritter, 
lettered by Mike Delapine. So, anyway, uh, page one basically kicks off with this fat, beer-bellied, redneck-looking guy uh, accosting a big group of nuns. And he basically... He's holding them responsible for how fucked up his hands are because his hands, they really are fucked up. His fingers are all gnarly and everything. And he basically blames nuns, it seems in general, for fucking up his hands just because he got smacked in the hand, uh, with, or hands, with uh, a, a ruler so much during his Catholic school education. So his fingers are, in the context of this story, quite completely fucked up. So, Cyberfrog intervenes, and that's just about when all hell breaks loose. Perhaps literally. On pages two and three, and this is actually kind of a weird, uh, a weird layout going on on, the, uh, on this page. It takes a second to realize that this is actually a, it's a kind of, by 90s standards, I guess this is a, a conventional uh, panel arrangement, but the issue is it's spread across page two and three. In other words, the storytelling spreads across both pages. So instead of the panels being arranged uh, all on one page, that's page two. You read page two, and then if you shift your eyes over to page three, the panels are going to be arranged there as well. Then you read page three. This doesn't work that way. It's it, The storytelling stretches across pages two and three, so that you read the top of page two, then the top of page three, the middle of page two, the middle of page three, etc. And it actually took a sec to realize this. Now, it may sound like I'm criticizing Van Sciver, and honestly, I maybe I am. The thing you need to remember, though, is that he was pretty much a rookie when he... When, when he first uh, drew this issue. And so I don't think that modern day Van Skyver would necessarily make some of these stylistic choices or some of these artistic choices. Or if he did, the storytelling would be clearer. But this is not modern day Van Skyver. I guess this is Van Skyver circa 1990. Well, it doesn't give me a. Yeah, the indicia. That doesn't give me a, uh, a, a date when this was originally pub. <clears throat> when this was originally published, I would imagine like 1994, 95, 96, something like that. The mid 90s, basically. So, 25 years ago. So, like I say, Van Skyver today may not lay a page out like this. Or again, if he does, the storytelling would probably be clearer. This is not Van Skyver of the modern day. This is Van Skyver of 25 years ago. And Van Skyver of 25 years ago was just starting up in his career, and there were a lot of things that he probably didn't know to do or know not to do or whatever. So I guess in that sense, it is kind of interesting to compare the creative decisions that he makes in this issue as compared to the creative decisions that you you can kind of surmise that he would probably make today. So, anyways. Uh, but like I say, this uh, beer-bellied, gigantic, fat, redneck dude, he's in the middle of accosting these nuns. Cyberfrog steps in. He tries to... Uh, Cyberfrog tries to uh, break up the fracas a little bit, and that's when things get weird. 
the giant beer-bellied redneck dude transforms into a giant beer-bellied redneck bear. His name is apparently Grizzly. And uh, he moves in uh, to go on the attack against, I guess, first Cyberfrog and then the nuns. And then the nuns, not to be outdone, they transform themselves. They call themselves the Sisters of Mayhem. And they turn into these sort of demonic-looking bat mutant things. And they call themselves, like I say, the Sisters of Mayhem. And Cyberfrog, at the bottom of page three, he even kind of echoes that. Sisters of Mayhem. And he just looks confused over that, as I guess anybody would be. <coughs> well, I say anybody. I, to tell you the truth, if I saw some gigantic beer-bellied redneck dude accost a bunch of nuns, of course I'm going to try to protect the nuns. But the minute he transforms into a grizzly, I'm going to maybe start thinking about making a run for it. And then if the nuns transform into these weird demonic bat mutant looking things yeah i'm definitely making a run for it after that so cyberfrog apparently however is made of sterner stuff because on page four he goes on the attack and just starts beating the tar out of the the gigantic beer-bellied redneck grizzly dude and he's this entire time he's uh basically trash talking him uh, and and when you when you see some of the trash talk, it's almost tempting to to think that he's that Van Skyver is kind of aping Spider Man here. I mean, uh, this dialogue, right? It says uh, Cyberfrog says, "Good boy." I mean, think about it. Despite our size differences, I'll probably still be beating up nuns long after you're a plaque in someone's den. And let's see. Uh, Charles Darwin wants you to die. Don't you understand? Um, whoa, get your bearing, your bearings back, eh? Heh, that was awful. One more pun like that and I'll break my own neck. Um, oh, actually, and one other thing I think I forgot to mention is there's a little tiny bit of uh, self-awareness that's going on here. I wouldn't go so far as to say Cyberfrog is breaking the fourth wall, but there is some kind of self-awareness here. Uh, flipping back to page one for just a second. Uh, Cyberfrog says, Back away from those nuns and turn around slow, Blimpy. We can make this a as hard or as easy as Ethan has pages for. And this is a very, very big comic book. So, a little bit of self-awareness going on there. Um, getting into page seven, though, skipping back ahead a little bit. Getting into page seven... The gigantic beer-bellied grizzly redneck dude, or redneck grizzly dude, grabs hold of one of the demonic bat mutant things, nun things, and tosses her at Cyberfrog, and then she gets stuck on his apparently razor-sharp uh, shoulder fins. <clears throat> and <laughs> this, is, this really is kind of funny. At the top of page 8. Um, he, he looks at the, uh, at the nun in the first panel, next panel, he looks at the reader, next panel, he looks at the, uh, at the dead nun again, pa panel four, he looks at, he looks back at the reader and he says, the plot thickens. 
Isn't that a, isn't that the way it goes? You get all spruced up for a night. Inevitably, you spill something on yourself. This sucks. And I mentioned a minute ago how sometimes the influences of something, they only really become apparent to you. Like the more you read something or, or, or maybe it's just only upon reflection. But it's like here, what you're seeing is Cyberfrog is... In terms of his characterization, at least in this particular issue, he's sort of this Bugs Bunny figure who's always sort of making fun of the things that are happening around him. So a few pages earlier, he was shit-talking Grizzly. Just kind of bancing him a little bit, really. And it's different... It's similar enough to Spider-Man that that was the first thing I thought. But then you get it to page 8, and... Now, this is straight-up Bugs Bunny that we're talking about right here. So, anyway. Uh, getting into page 9. <clears throat> uh, this, I imagine, is Salamandroid. It is a, a pretty different de uh, design from Salamandroid as we see him in Blood Honey. So, make of that whatever you will. Uh, Cyberfrog is pretty recognizable as Cyberfrog. I mean... The model isn't exactly the same as in uh, Blood Honey. This I do affirm. But you he's still recognizably Cyberfrog. Whereas this other character, I assume this is Salamandroid, but I don't think it, it ever comes right out and says so. And it's just, it's he's a gigantic lizard-like, or cy cybernetic lizard-like creature. He's blue. He's clearly Cyberfrog's protector. I don't know what else it could be besides Sal Salamandroid, so uh, I, I don't know. So, anyway. And that kind of speaks to the, to the tone of this book. It's actually a little bit of a horror book. It's a little bit of a cartoon book. There's some kind of black humor that's going on here. And... There's one more influence. I'm going to get to it when I get to it, but there's one, at least one more influence going on here. Uh, and all in all, all these different influences, they've, they've been kind of dropped into a, uh, into a blender, hit puree. And <clears throat> it seems that what we get from this is, well, Cyberfrog, as it was in the 90s. And it's just one of the challenges that I think any writer faces is being truly witty. You know, it's really not as easy as you might think to write something that that's going to elicit a chuckle from the reader. But the and maybe you know what, maybe black comedy is just sort of low hanging fruit. I wouldn't know. I'm just saying that the stuff here that's played for laughs, it really does work. You know, I mean, this, uh, basically Cyberfrog, he's got a dead nun hanging off of his shoulder. And when you think about how horrifying that would really be, he's kind of rolling with it. He's cracking wise. And this is something that for whatever reason, like it shouldn't work, but it does. And there's also some kind of interesting subtleties going on with the art. 
at the top of page eight. I touched on this briefly, but Cyberfrog looks at the dead nun, looks at the reader, looks at the dead nun, looks at the reader. And in as he's doing all of that, <clears throat> uh, the dead nun slowly transforms from a dead uh, bat-like mutant monster thing to a dead human, you know? And, I don't know, this is just, this is really good. And it's it's kind of evidence to me that from the start, Van Skyver had, he had an idea of what he wanted this book to be and the kind of stories that he wanted to tell. And, I don't know, I just, uh, so far, I've, I'm just really enjoying this this comic, so... Um, let's see, pages 10 and 11. It's basically more of Salamandroid basically is tearing shit up. And the whole time it's like Cyberfrog hasn't even really acknowledged the fact that Salamandroid is even there. He's basically preoccupied with getting the dead nun off his shoulder as I suppose you would be. So, I don't know. But... Uh, Salamandroid and Grizzly, they're beating each other up. They're tearing up a city street. And and this whole time, Cyberfrog is just not even really acknowledging it. So he ends up um, uh, meeting up with Heather, still with the, uh, still with the uh, uh, dead nun stuck onto his shoulder. And so they try everything. I assume this is uh, back at her house on uh, page 16. They try everything to to get the dead nun off of him, and so far, nothing works. And <clears throat> in the end, she she at least uh, she she decapitates the nun at least to get rid of the body, but that still leaves the head stuck on Cyberfrog's shoulder. So, what are we gonna do there? Page seventeen, they're chilling out together in an alleyway. And I mean, let's, I mean, let's face it. I mean, this is, <laughs> this, this is, this is a weird situation. Cyberfrog says, I could name her. Then she'd at least feel like part of me. And uh, Heather says, oh, so now you're giving up. I wish you'd have given up two hours ago. Then I could have at least caught the Seinfeld rerun. And Cyberfrog's answer to that is, I'm funnier than that guy. And... Heather then goes on to suggest that it's just about time to get dinner. So they go to Chicken Fry, where Heather works. And this is, I think, where... Well, this is where the other influence became apparent to me. So I've mentioned the black comedy. I've mentioned the Bugs Bunny thing. I've mentioned the kind of horror elements that are going on here. But for some reason, it was when I was looking at page 18... It didn't happen when I was reading Blood Honey. It didn't happen when I was reading The Diary of Heather Swain. But when I was reading page 18 of this issue, that's where the penny finally dropped for me that the other influence that's going on here is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, you know, the thing about it is, I mean, honestly, that probably should have become a, a little bit more apparent to me a little bit sooner. Uh, back on page 10, as part of... Yeah, this is a part of Cyberfrog's uh, internal monologue. 
Um, he says, Addle come the total wax. Ironically enough, I call it April O'Neil sometimes. It drives her nuts. And he's talking about Heather here, right? He says, depressing. <clears throat> wow. Doing that voice is harder on my throat than I would have thought. He says, hmm, depressing. Heather's gonna freak out when she sees this mess. I know it. Out'll come the total wax, ironically enough. I call her April O'Neil sometimes, and it drives her nuts. And for some reason, that wasn't a big enough giveaway for me. But something about reading page 18 with Cyberfrog getting all excited about uh, the fried chicken and uh, chowing down on that. It's like, okay, all right. So he's a modified amphibian of some kind. And there's a certain type of fast food that he has a real fixation for. Just as the Ninja Turtles are modified amphibians of some kind, and they have a fixation on fast food themselves, specifically pizza. So they like pizza, he likes fried chicken. What is the difference? So anyway, so after that, Cyberfrog and Heather realize, you know what? The the uh, chicken fryer with all the grease and whatnot in it, that may actually be a pretty good way of getting the the dead nun's noggin uh, pulled off of Cyberfrog's uh, shoulder fins. And so, sure enough, it works on page 19. And so Heather says, I'm a genius. Now can we go home? And presumably they do. Page 20, uh, the next morning, when the morning shift comes in to start getting ready for the day, they find the dead nun's head still in the fryer. And um, the manager he doesn't seem to have a name, but anyway, so the manager fires the uh, employee. His name is uh, Bogart, and he fires Bogart right away. And the thing is, Bogart has such a specific look about him. It kind of makes me wonder, you know, did Vance Skyver model Bogart on uh, on somebody that he knows? And I get the idea that maybe there's even uh, some element of, like, commentary that's going on here. Because the manager even says, you know, what the hell's the holdup? And so Bogart's answer to that is, yes, sir, I hear you, I'm right on it. And then under his breath, he mutters, you stupid, drag-ass, lazy, no-talent bastard. And it's like, that's an interesting thing to say about your boss at your fast food job, calling him no-talent. What does talent have to do with this, you know? So it makes me wonder if there's, like, some kind of backstory going on with this or or what. So, I don't know. But uh, all in all, this was just a nice, fun little issue. I mean, stylistically, you know, we have to acknowledge it is very different from, from Blood Honey. It's, the, I mean, obviously it is the same characters, um, you know, clearly, but it's like at the same time, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's basically a very primitive version of Cyberfrog as compared to Blood Honey, which has a, a more carefully refined concept and God knows, uh, storytelling. It's overall, it's just a, it's a fun little comic. So I do recommend picking it up if you can find it back. In fact, really all of this cyber frog stuff that I've talked about, I recommend all of it in case that really isn't 
clear. So anyway, now getting into feedback, because it's been a while since I've been able to tackle some of that, uh, I am getting caught up, so that's definitely good news. The This is, uh, let's see, subject line of this thing. Well, actually, first up, this was received on September the 1st, 2015. So I could be wrong, but I'm starting to think, you know what? I don't really... I really don't think I've got all that much feedback left from 2015 that I haven't talked about. Probably should have checked into that before I started recording, but I didn't, so now we all get to wait. As I vamp for time and pretend like this was all part of my master plan, as I quickly check my Gmail inbox, vamping for time this all, all the while and hopefully concealing the fact... Okay, wow, boy, did I just not call this at all. Wow. So, it looks like... I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven more emails that I still need to go through from 2015. So another way of looking at it is I'm nowhere near finished with feedback that I received in the year of 2015. But damn it, I'm getting closer. So that's what matters, right? Right? That's what matters, right? That I'm getting closer. Isn't that what matters? So anyway, this is an email that I received from my old friend and longtime listener of the show, Fanboy MS Prime. Subject line says, Random Madness 2.0. Hope this thing works. Prime writes, Hey, Magnus, I have to ask, you ever have any strong feelings on the Ultimate Universe? A universe I feel was of its time, and now that... It and now is, or rather, now instead of being hip and trendy, as it was called when it started by Marvel, is now an artifact of its time, makes me laugh, and amuses me. And Prime, I'm going to put your email on pause right here, so that I can, first of all, open my Coke. And let me just say, no, this is not orange vanilla Coke. This is just plain regular Coke. <clears throat> the orange vanilla stuff is still pretty hard to come by for God knows what reason. But for whatever reason, it's fucking impossible to find it right now at HEB. So one does what one must, I suppose. I'm also going to take a drag of uh, vapor here. So uh, Prime, bear with me. All right, uh, so Prime, you asked about um, the Ultimate Universe. Uh, do I have <clears throat> any strong feelings about it? And, eh, I mean, kind of. <clears throat> if memory serves, I've done a few episodes about various and century Ultimate comics. I think I've done one episode about Ultimate X-Men, one episode about Ultimate Fantastic Four, and one, possibly two, possibly three episodes about Ultimate Spider-Man. So, I don't know. I mean, three titles from the Ultimate line. Does that make me an expert on something? I mean, I, I don't think so, but whatever. What I can tell you is I've always kind of had a soft spot for Ultimate Spider-Man. It felt like that this was a Spider-Man who was more specifically of my generation, 
So I guess there's that, you know, I just kind of appreciated it sort of on that level. And then there's just the, the modernization that the Spider-Man mythos underwent in the ultimate line. I, I, I enjoyed that. It, I mean, when ultimate Spider-Man started, I, I, what I took from it is that this is kind of like the final proof that Spider-Man is an interesting character. He is, um, he is relevant. He does. There are ways of making this contemporary and fresh and interesting <clears throat> without really destroying the, the core essentials of who this character is supposed to be. Now, Prime, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I do not consider myself to be an authority on Spider-Man. I've read a lot of Spider-Man comics, but I don't think that I'm I'm not the I'm not necessarily somebody's first choice when it comes to uh knowledgeability when it comes to Spider-Man. You know, that's just not really my bag quite as much. And if that's true of Spider-Man, it's even truer of X-Men. Now, I like I say, I enjoy Ultimate X-Men. I really, I, I really dig the uh, Ultimate X-Men stuff that I've read. It's a lot of fun, and as with, as with Spider-Man, this is a reinvention of. Not even a re a reinvention. I mean, I guess that's maybe the wrong way to say it. This is. Not a reimagining, but it's like it's just like a refresh of Spider-Man, and it's a refresh of X-Men, where the the canon, the continuity, and maybe some of the the traditions that have, that people have kind of associated with, with with those titles. Somebody took a just kind of another look at that with with an idea of doing something new, doing something fresh and original, you know, honoring what came before honoring, like the, the franchise of what these characters are and what they're, what they're supposed to represent. But again, just doing it in a very sleek and modern type of way. You know, I dig that about the X-Men, but uh, I'm not an expert on, on Spider-Man. I am certainly not an expert on the X-Men, but compared to, well, compared to Fantastic Four, I really don't know a whole lot, you know? So when I say that I enjoy uh, the fantastic, the ultimate Fantastic Four comics that I've read, keep in mind, I don't have a whole lot of Marvel 616 Fantastic Four comics to compare that to. It's one of those I've always thought that Fantastic Four is one of those concepts that's better than the comics themselves. You know, uh, yes, there are good runs on Fantastic Four, but not as many as you might think, considering how long they've been around, you know? And so it's... Fantastic Four has always been one of those things that... I've always thought the idea has always been better than any... The the idea of of the Fantastic Four tends to be better than Fantastic Four comics themselves, and I'm hoping that makes sense. It's like it makes sense in my mind, but when I say it out loud, I I don't know. So, 
My point, though, Prime, just to kind of answer your question, is I really enjoy the the Ultimate Comics I've read. Uh, there, were, I believe there was also Daredevil and Elektra. I enjoyed that. That was pretty good stuff. But, I mean, I, I, I must tell you that one of the critiques that I have of Daredevil and uh, of Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra, and apparently I'm not the only one who feels this way, is Ultimate Daredevil, in a certain sense, it's like there is no Ultimate Daredevil, you know? Ultimate Daredevil is, it's not exactly a photocopy of Miller's Daredevil, but it's pretty fucking close, you know? A uh, little bit of Miller Daredevil and maybe some amount of movie Daredevil. Because I can't remember if Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra came out before the movie or after. The Mark Steven Johnson movie or after. I tend to think it was after, but I'm maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it's like, it just look whether it's intentional or whether it's coincidence, it just looks like it's derivative of the movie. And it just, there's really nothing about Ultimate Daredevil that really distinguishes the character from the 616 Daredevil. So it's like, what are we even doing here? Whereas, love it or hate it, all of the other Ultimate titles, it's pretty easy to differentiate them from their 616 counterparts, you know? And I don't know. It's um, I don't think that Ultimate Daredevil. I don't think that th that character ever really had justice done to him, you know, so I guess you can agree with that or you can disagree. But anyway, um, and then probably one of the most controversial elements of of the ultimate line was uh, ultimates was the ultimates itself where uh, i mean let's let's just say it i mean wanda and pietro are in an incestuous relationship and it's just it's one of those things that is just so out of left field like where the fuck did that even come from like a prime i don't know if you listen to my my Magnus talks about Smallville uh, retrospectives. But when I was working my way through the dreaded season four, I basically floated this theory of mine that Jason Teague and his mother Genevieve Teague, they were in some type of an incestuous sort of situation. And there is a sense in which it kind of made sense, like in context, like Genevieve really does seem like Genevieve Teague, she she really does in the show, she really does come off like she would be that controlling of of her son, right down to his to his sex life, if you catch my drift, you know? And it kind of makes sense also with Jason, you know, he kinda had some issues of his own that were going on that perhaps being molested by his mother would account for. He seemed alternately very fixated on his mom on the one hand. And then on the other hand, he also seemed very uncomfortable around her as well. And it's like, it actually made a whole lot of sense. And it's never directly said in season four that that's what happened, but it's like, it makes so much sense for everything else that, 
And certainly a lot of the dialogue is very suggestive of it. Again, not said directly, but there are not very many ways, many other ways of interpreting some of the dialogue in uh, in those episodes, some of the things that the Teagues say sometimes to each other, sometimes things that other characters say about the Teagues. It's... Because it's tempting to say it's wide open to interpretation, except no, it really isn't. You know, it, it there are just not very many many other ways apart from incest to interpret these these little bits of dialogue. And so when I started thinking about it, not to beat this thing to death, but just to kind of you know wrap a bow around everything, when I really started thinking about it, it's like you know what that actually makes sense, like for those characters and you know, the decisions that they make and, uh, it, it, there, there's a ring of logic to that. You know, this is, this is not an out of left field development, but damn it, man, reading the ultimates. And I want to say it was ultimates volume one, where that came out about Wanda and Pietro. It's like, it did come out of left field. You know, it's like nobody, nobody fucking like literally fucking nobody was suggesting that th- that those two are or should be in some kind of an, an incestuous sort of thing with each other. No one was demanding that. No one was speculating upon that. No one was asking about that, as far as I know. And yet, here it fucking is anyway, you know? And it's just... Number one, it's just creepy as shit, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. But it's like, I guess even when you move away from that, if, assuming that you can... It's like it doesn't really change anything in the story. It doesn't contribute anything. It could be in the story, and it is, and ch- and change nothing. It could be omitted from the story and change nothing. It's like it doesn't need to be there. And, I mean, I'm sorry. That's going to be a really fucking controversial thing for a lot of a lot of readers. I mean, they just – I mean, number one, they just – really don't like the concept of incest anyway, I would imagine. Or I don't, anyway. Um, But then there's also the fact that it's like nothing is ever done with that, you know? That doesn't come from a logical place in the story. It doesn't really contribute much of anything to the story. It doesn't get somehow or another paid off in the story. It's just fucking there, you know? And I can't help thinking that one of the reasons why I've never gone through the Ultimates at any point during the run of my podcast, in no small part, because it's like this whole incest thing, like, I don't even know what the fuck, obviously, I don't know what the fuck to do with that, you know? And so, I mean, is that a deal breaker for me for the Ultimate line as a whole? Obviously not. But it's just one of those weird things that comes along sometimes with the Ultimate Universe where you're like, whoa, like, what the fuck is that about, you know? And to be fair, not every questionable decision that gets made in the Ultimate Universe is that egregiously just fucking creepy, okay? Not all of them are like that. Like, the the design for Iron Man's suit. It's kind of weird. It's kind of Gundam-y, sort of, but not really, but kind of. And it's just, it's a really wonky looking Iron Man, 
that we've got there. But you know what? Whatever. I mean, it does a lot to visually distinguish Ultimate Iron Man from 616 Iron Man. So maybe that's all the justification you need for such a wonky Iron Man. It is still wonky, you understand. But at least now there's some kind of logic behind it. Whereas the incest thing with Wanda and Pietro, it's like, look, I'm by itself, that is not a deal breaker for me, even for Ultimates. It's like, I guess if that somehow contributes something to the story, then I guess I'm okay with it. But it doesn't. So what the fuck? You know, and so anyway, like you asked me if I have like strong feelings on the ultimate universe. And I mean, I guess the answer is, I, I shit, I've spent all this time talking about it. I guess the answer has to be yes. But it's like at the same time to say that it's yes, it almost gives you this idea that there are sort of deal breakers for me going on with it. There's just there's a Rubicon that this thing crosses that I just can't be a part of. And that's just not true. OK, it is not true. Like I say, I enjoy Ultimate Spider-Man. I enjoy Ultimate X-Men. I enjoy uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four. And even if I don't see a whole lot of originality going on with Ultimate Daredevil, what little Ultimate Daredevil we get, I do enjoy. But man, when it when you start talking about the Ultimates, yeah, what the fuck? Now, um... Prime, this could go a little bit far afield uh, to what you wanted to talk about specifically in this email. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to derail you here or anything. But what I will say is that, you know, Ultimatum, that that was the Rubicon for a lot of people. You know, um, you had the death of Wolverine. I think you had the death of Xavier. You had the death of, for sure, Ultimate Daredevil. <clears throat> on and on and on, right? A lot. I mean, the bodies pile up pretty fast with Ultimatum. And I can understand why this was so controversial in its time. But for me, Prime, one of the things that actually kind of works for me about Ultimatum is that it's by virtue of the fact that this is the Ultimate Universe it's free to take all these risks and chances, all these things that you could never do in the 616 universe, just because there needs to be the illusion of change without actual change. Well, the ultimate universe doesn't have that limitation. And so it gives you this freedom. And in a weird kind of way, I would compare it to uh, pre-crisis DC's Earth 2. I would compare ultimate uh, Ultimate Marvel to DC's pre-crisis Earth 2 from the standpoint that Earth 2 could do risky things, like for its time. Risky things like marry uh, Superman to Lois or kill off Batman or allow Dick Grayson to become the new Batman of a sort. And like permanently, like, you know, no fake outs, no clones, no dreams, no nothing. Like this is for real, you know? And I like that about it. You know, for me, that's not a bug. That's a feature. Now, Prime, keep in mind that the person who is saying all of this is the guy who isn't really a Marvel guy at heart, isn't really as invested in um, Marvel as he is DC. 
just bear all that in mind, okay? I'm the guy that's got basically nothing to lose with stuff like Ultimatum or the Ultimate Universe in general, whereas your more dedicated, hardcore Marvel fans, maybe they're the ones who are a little bit more entitled to be shocked and scandalized and have an opinion about this than perhaps I am. Nevertheless, you asked, and so hopefully that's that's a good answer for you, and I'm sorry that I rambled on for so long. So anyway, my apologies, sir. Prime goes on to say, I remember when everyone was afraid they'd re reboot the 616 universe and uh, for the ultimate verse, and now we've discovered the ultimate Spider-Man is coming to the Marvel universe, and likely the rest will be just dead weight. And Prime, I'm going to put your email back on pause and say, yeah, man, I remember when people were saying that too, that eventually the Marvel 616 universe was going to go the way of the Dodo and it was going to be replaced with Ultimate, well, Ultimate Marvel. And I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I never saw that as a possibility, you know? Um, and I don't know. I mean, was I ultimately proven right about that, or was I ultimately proven wrong about that? I mean, it's up for grabs, really, but um, it just it didn't seem likely or possible or even really desirable for Marvel to basically turn out the lights on 616 and then replace it with the Ultimate Universe. I just... Did not see what that was going to gain for anybody. I didn't see what the advantage was in doing that. And I didn't see it then. I don't see it now. To me, Ultimate, Ultimate Marvel was at its best when it was different from Marvel 616, you know? And I can't help but think that maybe, maybe what ultimately hobbled Ultimately, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, maybe what eventually hobbled Ultimate Marvel was so many ideas of Ultimate Marvel being ported over to the 616 universe that it's like it gets to a point where it's like, what's the point of the Ultimate Verse if all we're doing is basically. I, I guess free R and D for the six sixteen guys. Like, what are we doing here? If if that is all this is about, why are we here? You know. And frankly, I don't have a very good answer to that. So, in any case, the but yeah, I to your point though, I do remember people saying that, or for that matter, fearing that the ultimate line would come to replace the the mainstream six sixteen line. And I just, I, I thought they were worried over nothing. And I made my opinion about that very obvious, very plain. I never made any effort to conceal it. And even now, I think that was a silly thing for, for people to get worried about. But what do I know? So anyway, Prime goes on to say, not saying the Ultimate Verse had no value, as the Warren Ellis Ultimate Galactus trilogy was an incredible story and the universe had some great ideas. It also had a lot of shit with Ultimatum putting a bullet in its head, and it slowly died many years after that. And Prime, again, I'm the guy in the room that doesn't have anything to lose 
really when it comes to Marvel. I've, I'm just not as invested in Marvel. You know, the fact that I that I can speak favorably of Ultimatum, I hope you understand the perspective that I'm coming from here, where the the changes wrought by Ultimatum ultimately don't affect me, so I can just enjoy them for what they are, and I I have nothing at stake with that. So hopefully that makes sense. Prime goes on to say, on to something very odd to change uh, to is, I want you to cover Identity Crisis. I mean, it was an interesting story and led to the Slinger series. Yeah, the Spider-Man storyline called that, and not the DC one, as you have said that you like the DC one itself, but not that everyone seemed to believe Dead Bodies was what made it good and did that. Slingers was a fun series, and one I think is underrated. If you and Michael ba- <laughs> Michael Bailey, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, if you and Michael Bailey are ever every so often backpacking under the Marvel Universe, I guess that makes me the tour guide showing off some of the interesting sites that you won't be aware of. Things like Volume 1 of The New Warriors, a classic and one pe- people keep trying to bring back. It hasn't worked out with any real longevity, but it happens to some books, like The Titans. And Prime, I'm going to put your email on pause here again and say that, you know, in relation to The New Warriors... Look, I'm just going to just put it all out on Front Street here. My first real exposure to them, forgive me, was Civil War. Now, before you jump down my throat, hear me out. Okay? Just hear me out. (sighs) What I liked about their involvement with Civil War is that it showed them being fallible. You know? They were a bunch of sort of millennial superheroes. They were more obsessed with fame than they were actually saving people. And things went sideways, obviously, um, in uh, Stamford. And so Nitro went Nitro, and then here comes Civil War, baby. And I guess the reason I like that is because I, it took me a long time to kind of contextualize like the Avengers, it makes sense. Okay, you you can instantly understand what the you know what the Avengers are all about, what they mean to the Marvel universe. You know who who are they to to Joe Sixpack in the Marvel universe? Well, you can kind of get your head around that pretty easily. You know, the X Men. It took me a little bit longer. You know. It took me, it took me, and in fact, you can even hear the penny drop for me, I believe, uh, in the episode I did about uh, House of M with uh, Scott Rifen years and years and years ago. But that's when I finally started figuring out who the X-Men are, what they represent, what separates them from the Avengers, why is it that the Avengers are seemingly loved and admired while the X-Men are feared and hated, and it all started making sense for me. Cause again, I'm kind of an outsider when it comes to Marvel. All right. But new warriors, I got to tell you, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have much of an opinion about them, you know, prior to reading civil war. I just, you know, they're kind of there for fucking what purpose. I don't know, but they're just kind of there. And, 
I guess what I liked about it is they were flawed. They, you know, very fallible. They made a bad decision. They were irresponsible. And innocent people pay, paid the price, ultimately. You know, innocent people died because they wanted to be famous. And that's really what it comes down to, you know. And it made it easier to give me some kind of an entree into the new warriors. Now you can only hear people talk trash about how amazing new new warriors volume one is. You can only listen to that for so long, you know, Oh, these comics are great, man. I'm telling you, you know, they're, you know, tons of fun and great characters. You know, you can only hear so much of that prime before you start thinking, okay, asshole, show me what you got. I'm going to take a look at some of these issues. I'm going to get right up and give you my honest opinion. So I don't know when that's going to happen. My daughter is going to be born at the time that you hear this pretty soon. She may have already been born, in fact, but it's definitely going to be pretty soon by the time that you hear this. And so um, I'm not sure when it's going to happen, but it is my agenda to, to talk about at some point or another, at the very least, I'm thinking uh, volume one of the new the new warriors numbers uh, one, two and three. Maybe it'll go beyond that. I don't know. But I definitely want to talk about at least those three issues, get right up and um, just get into it with, you know, with those characters and just kind of see what the fuss is all about. Because, you know, I don't hear very many um, complaints about New Warriors Volume 1. So, I do, again, I don't know when, but at some point, yes, they are they are on the list. That is an agenda. Uh at some point, yes, it's, uh, I'm going to try to make that happen. Okay. So anyway, and yes, prime, you, 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 you played kind of a, kind of a role in helping me make that decision. So anyways, now, excuse me while I get another sip off of my Coke here. Also some vapor, too. Anyway, so Prime goes on to say, also, um, also there is the Peter Milligan X-Force slash Ecstatics that you'd probably find at least interesting. What happens when mutants become private military contractors and celebrities? It doesn't help Xavier's dream at all. And actually, Prime, I'm going to tell you something. That actually does sound sort of sort of interesting. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and put that into my little circular here. I'm going to, again, not promising anything on that. Like, with New Warriors, yes, I am promising something. I'm at least going to try to talk about them. But, uh, yeah, this... This whole X Force ecstatics thing, I'm not making any promises, but I'll I'll give it a look and yeah, who knows? But yes, you're right. This actually does sound kind of interesting to me. So anyway, Prime goes on to say there's also Cable number 37 to 39, which has Cable battle Psycho Man, and team up with the Micronauts that Marvel still has the rights to. It isn't the Long Halloween, but by the same writer, but probably a lot more fun a story. The Robert Weinberg cable run 
number 79 to 96, is also an interesting animal. Cable off for the book, uh, off for the most part doing his own thing, with one issue being in the X-Book crossover of the time, and Cable's fellow X-Men, uh, Jean Grey, or X-Men, Jean Grey and Beast, helping him in one story. But that's really it. That That's really it for the X-Men books, being directly involved in the stories. And Cable's adventures are, shall we say, interesting and fun. And the story, starting with issue 97 for a more grounded in the real world and such version of Cable, uh, such a complete change from what came before, it just didn't work for me. Or rather, it just didn't work to me. Seriously. In issue 96, Cable is uh, getting back a memento, an immortal caveman, due to the deviant experimentation, needed him, needed his help for from the other immortal cavemen from that project. And Cable acting in Peru in a, quote, real world, unquote, uh, setting, after that sort of awesome insanity just wasn't what I wanted. X-Man 63 to the end of the series with issue 75 is also an interesting read. Nate Gray uh, becoming the shaman or guardian of the Earth-616 universe against all kinds of crazy shit, and the multiverse willing to do it harm. It does play into Warren Ellis's Secret Avengers issues in a way, as he does explore some of the crazy dimensions under Earth-616. And look, Prime, if you were the only person to have ever said this to me, well, actually, I may still... I may still have given given your thoughts here a little bit of credence, but there was a point when I was going to my LCS. Let me think. I, I guess I was about 30, maybe 31. I was probably going like twice, maybe even three times per week. Uh, obviously, there's new comic book day. <clears throat> But then I would also uh, want to uh, go shopping for Legion back issues or Daredevil back issues. Because back then, back then, Prime, I don't know if you remember it, but I guess this was probably like a good eight, nine, ten maybe year, years ago. Basically, before the Daredevil Netflix series, you just didn't really see like big bulk lots of Daredevil back issues popping up on eBay all that often. So, I mean, like occasionally it would happen, but it was pretty fucking rare. You know, usually if you see bulk lots of Marvel back issues on eBay, I would say it was most likely X-Men, maybe Venom, Spider-Man type stuff, but usually X-Men. So Daredevil practically non-existent. And so if you, and this is my point, if you want Daredevil back issues, you, well, pretty much you don't have too many other choices uh, aside from going to your LCS and just kind of hoping for the best. So I would go up there and, and pick up, you know, the odd uh, uh, back issues here and there just to, just to see how far backwards I could go. Because my galaxy-brained idea and I'm spending way too much time talking about this than I really should, but whatever. My galaxy-brained idea was that, you know, getting a complete run of Daredevil Volume 1, that's going to be its own unique challenge. But if you just work backwards, all right, just work backwards as much as you can, you get uh, 
Daredevil number 196. Then you get Daredevil 195. Then you get Daredevil 194, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're going to, number one, you're going to clear out your LCS of back issues, which I don't think is ever a bad thing. So that's number one. Number two, you're going to build uh, an all or mostly unbroken run of whatever volume it is that you're collecting. And you're not going to, you're, you're probably not going to have very many or maybe even no gaps at all in, you know, in your run. And I just thought that was maybe the better way of doing things. So, like I say, I was going up there two times, sometimes three times per week. And, you know, in the bargain, there was, I remember there was this, there was this gigantic black dude that would come in all the time. And Prime, I'm not going to call this man a hypocrite, okay? I will not call this man a hypocrite. I just won't do it, all right? Because that's not the kind of podcast I do, you understand? But I got to tell you, Prime, I didn't completely understand where this guy was coming from at times, you know? Um, I'm not going to say his name, but it was... Basically, he would come in and he would just unload on the uh, on the employees of my LCS. And they would laugh. I mean, they thought it was the funniest thing. But he would just unload on them, right? Like every time I was ever in there and he came in too, this black guy, he would just give the employees both barrels. Man, I'm sick of the damned X-Men. I mean, it's like every time I turn around, there's some new fucking X-Men comic that's come. Oh, by the way, do you have the new Wolverine? I'm sick of the damned X-Men because, you know, I, I got to tell you, you know, it's like they, they just keep pumping out new shit. Oh, hey, when is Avengers V X-Men coming out or AVX or whatever that shit was called? When is that coming out? I'm sick of the damned X-Men. And it's like he was asking for the new stuff. And at the same time, decrying the fact that there is new stuff and it was just this weird uh just fucking light switch type thing right where he's angry one minute very inquisitive the next there's like this weird fucked up like jekyll and hyde type transformation and if i hadn't seen it for myself multiple times i would actually kind of have trouble believing it like if somebody just told me what happened i would say okay you're kind of embellishing this for comedic effect. No, I fucking saw it myself, like repeatedly. Okay. That's who the guy was. It was just like, he had this weird fucked up. It's like the minute, the minute X-Men anything, but really X-Men comics, but really the minute X-Men anything came up, it, it was just this weird instantaneous, like mood swing that the guy would have. It was, it was just bizarre. And yet it was so entertaining to watch. I could understand why the LCS people were laughing about it. Right. But during one of his calmer moments, he was, and this is just to kind of, kind of tie it in with what you were talking about a minute ago. He was talking about, um, the, was this, I don't know if this was Jeff Lowe, but he was basically talking about the same stuff that you are. I don't, I don't think he actually said the issue numbers or who the writer was or what, but he was talking about this same basic run as what you're talking about, where he almost said that it's like Nate Gray sort of became like an elemental or something like that. Cause he kept using that word and it made me wonder that he might've been misusing it. So I don't know, but him and one of the, one of the, one of the guys he was really close to at the LCS, they would just sit there shooting the bull about Nate Gray and just how cool Nate was and all this stuff. And they were both fans in like a big way of Nate Gray. And so all of that just kind of made me, it's like, 
the big burly black guy, like, I don't necessarily think that his sensibilities and mine lined up on everything because I thought Legion of Superheroes was fucking genius and he thought they were lame. I thought Daredevil is the best character that Marvel has, whereas he's clearly more of an X-Men guy. I mean, obviously, you know, and, and so, you know, very different sensibilities, me and this guy, but the LCS employee that he would, you know, go back and forth with and wax fanboy about Nate Gray, you know, me and this guy, we did have tastes that were a little bit closer together. And it sort of made me wonder if some guy that I don't agree with on basically anything loves Nate Gray and this LCS employee that I see eye to eye with on a lot of things, not necessarily everything. I'm not a Batman guy to the same degree that he is, but I mean, it, the differences between us are really more of a question of degree as opposed to substance, if you follow me. So if these two people, one of whom I disagree with on virtually everything, this other one that I agree with on virtually everything, if those two like this character and see a lot of potential there, there's got to be something to this. You know, at the very least, I don't think I would be wasting my time reading this. So I don't know. Again, as with um, as with uh, the uh, Peter Milligan X-Force Ecstatics thing, Prime, I'm not making any promises here either, but this, again, this actually does sound... This, th this does sound kind of interesting as well, so um, I'll give it a look and I'll... I'll let you know what I think. Maybe, you know, I'm definitely going to give it a look, but I may, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know. I mean, we'll, we'll meet somewhere in the middle on this. Like, I don't know. I'll, I don't know. So anyway, Prime goes on to say, speaking of Warren Ellis's Secret Avengers, that also is, is on the list. Marvel Adventures Avengers is a complete and utter treat especially Jeff Parker's run that kicked it off. If you can find the cheap digest size reprints, you're going to have a great time. It sack punches uh, Frank Miller's all-star Batman and Robin and shows what good comics you can give to a kid or an adult really are. Finally, there is one that has to be seen to be believed. Marvel Adventures Hulk number 13. The Hulk versus the, the Marvel Mummies. A done-in-one story by Peter David that is a hoot. All of this... I think you'll enjoy, or at least feel they're interesting and amusing. Signed, Fanboy Miss Prime. And Prime, thanks again for taking the time to write in. I really appreciate this. And there, really, there are two recommendations here that especially stand out, like I say. Uh, Peter Milligan's uh, X-Force, and then um, the uh, Nate Gray X-Men, like 63, I think you said. Uh, and then going forward, obviously New, new Warriors, number one volume one number one to three that's on my list of future projects at some point but these other two uh x-force and x-man uh i'm not again i'm not making promises on those but they they do sound they sound interesting i'll i'll say that much so i don't know i'll i'll give it some thought and again no promises but you know they do they do seem kind of interesting i must admit so especially the way that you that you've sort of pitched them to me you know good job on that by the way so anyway i think that's uh, basically it for amphibionics and for feedback and so 
As to next week, it's like everything. I don't even know if there's going to be an episode next week. Maybe there will be, maybe not. But um, either way, I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. 
The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Thank you.